Hey, Darren, I'm watching the best show on television. You want to know what it is? What is it? I think I know, but what is it? Inglorious Trexperts. And you're thinking to yourself, wait a second, that's not a TV show. But it is. But it is. It It is. is. It's a TV show because you can watch us on the Electric Now app. It's an app for streaming video podcasts as well as movies, television, and more. You can see us on demand on Electric Now. I demand it. I demand because I demand it. Commodore Stone can watch us on the Electric Now app. And how do you get the Electric Now app? Because apparently people are having trouble understanding the concept. Just go to your app store from whatever device you're using or all of the devices you're using. And you download it to your phone, your iPad, your Roku, your whatever, whatever you, whatever you, whatever you have that streams. Other than a Viewmaster, you download it and, and then you watch it 100% free. There's no charge. There's no Patreon. There's no Electronic Frontier. All there is is a free app. So download the Electric Now app from your favorite app store and watch us on Electric Now. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And if you're a fan of the only gentleman secret agent with a license to kill and thrill, you should pick up my new James Bond oral history, Nobody Does It Better, available now in hardcover, audio, and digital wherever books are sold. Do you expect me to read? No, I expect you to buy it. Need to make a call? Look for a police call box. That's where you'll find Two on Who, the new Doctor Who podcast from Electric Surge. Two on Who is available wherever you listen to podcasts. And welcome back to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. Uh, I am your host, Josh Miller, and with me as always is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. Hello. How are you guys doing today? Doing pretty good. Uh, very excited about our guest today. We have Mr. Josh Olson, who you might know from his Academy Award-nominated script, for a history of violence. Uh, he also has a great podcast. He co-hosts with Joe Dante called the movies that made me. Um, I don't know if this is the kind of thing you would normally put on a resume, but I think all screenwriters, at least ones uh, who've been around since a certain point, love you for your essay. I will not read your fucking script. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, how you doing today, Josh? I'm, I'm well, thank you. How are you guys? Uh, before we go on, just touching on that essay a little bit, is that the kind oh, yeah. of thing where like screenwriters still come up to you to this day to tell you that they loved you for writing that? I mean, it's weird. It's not, it's not it's a weird, you know, uh, yeah. And it's not just screenwriters. I mean, it's, um, that any thing, creative person, not even creative. Oh, yeah. You know, I had a, I had a carpenter friend uh, when it first <laughs> came out, thank me. Cause you know, it makes perfect sense. He could be, you know, how how often people would invite him over to their house for dinner and then take him on a tour that always ended in the room that, you know, has a leaky ceiling or something that he suddenly realized, guess, oh, yeah. Makes sense, because that's kind of the point you brought up in the essay mm-hmm. was that people don't think it's rude to ask you to read their script, but you're like, well, that'd be like me asking a dentist, like, hey, can you just look at my teeth real quick? Exactly. That does exactly. happen to dentists is the point. Yeah, and I think it's it's fun. I mean, most of the, the response to that has been overwhelmingly positive over the years. I remember Roger Ebert tweeted it out about a year before he died, which was lovely. And 
every every six to nine months somebody else resurrects it and usually in a positive way um i've found there are occasionally uh whoops should we wait till that goes by <laughs> yeah, <it's weird. laughs> i'm gonna say there's air raid happening over there if there's a lot of that i will move inside god damn it <laughs> seems like something's happening nearby uh, you done you finished? I'm trying to record here. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Apologize. I've just been cooped up. I'm, I'm on a deadline. Yeah, no, uh, I understand. Writing, and I've just been like cooped up for days. So it's like, I'm going to go sit on the porch. Um, yeah, I mean, every now and then there's some hostility to it, which, you know, I understand a lot of it comes from the title, which is, uh, uh, I, I suppose, needlessly aggressive. If you read the article, you know, people are always like, well, he shouldn't have said that to the guy. Read the article. I didn't say it to the guy. <laughs> it's, um, I actually read his fucking thing and then that's why I wrote the article. But, um, yeah, no, it's, it's one of those weird things. Cause you, you know, I just, I just sort of farted it out in response to a thing that happened and then didn't really know what to do with it. And then, you know, a friend of mine was at the village voice. It was like, Hey, yeah, let me, you should let me run it on our blog. And I was like, sure. Why not? 200 people might see it. <laughs> and, um, you know, and, and for years he was on me, he's like, do that again. And I'd be like, Tony, you can't, you can't do that on purpose, you know? Get another viral it's, essay. Yeah. Was, I mean, it was crazy. I remember the day I got up and it was just like, you know, you get on Facebook and the entire newsfeed of Facebook was the same photograph of me scrolling down forever. <laughs> like what the fuck happened? But, um, yeah, it was, it was, it was interesting. It's a weird thing knowing what's going to be on your gravestone, you know? <laughs> Um, a long time to read someone's script you know it's it takes a it's a pretty big deal it is it's a commitment and if you want someone to do it seriously it's it's you know it's time it's energy it's all the rest of that and and i do it all the time it's just what i was you know and one of the other things that seems to get lost by people who get offended the title and don't read the article is um they're like, oh, so he didn't read anybody's scripts? I'm like, no, I just won't read scripts for complete fucking strangers who walk up to me in public and pigeonhole me into doing work for them, you know? <laughs> it, it, how is that controversial? <laughs> if you script him for something, like one of those, that's what I used to use when I first started writing. I used to like pay those companies for him to read. And they, you know, I get yeah, people are, Every now and then there's like a working pro who's like, well, I, I resent that. I read for anybody. And I'm, I'm always like, you know, I'm, I'm by nature a fairly nice guy. I always kind of want to just sort of, you know, go on Twitter or something and go, Hey, everybody, this guy will read your script. Please send him, <laughs> send him everything you've got. He's dying to read it. <clears throat> it's like, come on. No, you won't. Nobody will. Nobody does that. Nobody does that. Nobody reads scripts for complete fucking strangers. Well, maybe taking a step back before we start Sorry getting into yeah. some unmade <laughs> movies. Well, I was going to say, uh, Maybe just talk, we'll talk briefly about uh, just kind of the beginning of your career and what led up to a history of violence and people wanting you to read their screenplays um, <laughs> of kind of going from being just somebody trying to make it to now being a known screenwriter. It's hard to be a known screenwriter, even when you are a known screenwriter, well, you know, you're aware of the fact that you're not really known. I'm not sure how known you are. You're not known like, a, <laughs> like an actor might be. Yeah. Um, but I, mean, yeah, I but got to, I got to once, um, several years back. It was really nice. The new Beverly asked me to, uh, uh, host a week of screenings of double features, just of movies I curated. It was an incredible honor and it was so much fun. And I'd go to the new Beverly and, and, you know, we showed these great films and it was usually packed. I remember my girlfriend at the time we just started dating. She goes, wow, you're, you're famous. And I was like, I'm famous for like 
maybe one square block. It's like <laughs> you, you cross the street for the New Beverly. No one knows who I am, Wait. but pretty much everybody in the world who knows who I am is in this theater right now. Did you oh. show A Boy and His Dog? Oh, yeah. Because I, I, I have a very distinct memory, uh, and that was when Harlan came out for it. Yeah, Harlan came for that. And he'd yeah. injured his back. I just remember that like every five minutes, he would like swear really loud when he would get a spasm. Uh, yeah, yeah, Fun memory. probably. <laughs> uh, that was fun. And then, yeah, we showed that with, uh, what is it, Day the Earth Caught Fire yeah. afterwards. I remember that. Um, Good double bill. Uh, uh, yeah, but uh, was fun. what was kind of looking back to the, the olden days for you, uh, did you just straight up move out to LA like so many of us or did you get started? Yeah. Yeah, no, I did. I was in film school and, and kind of hating it because I, um, in Philadelphia, I, I shouldn't bet they're a great school, Temple University. Uh, but I, I had made more movies, you know, sort of on my own as a kid with a Super 8 camera than I did in film school. And um, I took a couple of really great theory classes that were actually in the English department that were probably, you know, to this day still put me in good stead with my work. Um, but after about two years of that, the opportunity came to come out here and work as a PA on an independent film. I basically dropped out of school, dropped everything, got on a plane and moved. And by the time the I film? got here, uh, it never happened. Oh. I got out here, <laughs> oh, no. uh, the film had lost its financing, but the producer was on the old, um, it's now the Culver studios. It was called layered at the time. And I got me on a lot and there were all these different independent productions. So I just went door to door, um, you know, please. Uh. <laughs> and um, I, I, it's a crazy story. I walked into the offices of the Canon film masters of the universe. Oh, wow. And, and um, I found out a couple of weeks later that Ed Pressman, who was one of the producers had a friend who was a publisher in New York who had a son named Josh. And somehow they thought I was him. And by the time the real Josh had shown up, I had worked, you know, I'd been on it for two weeks, had not left, had not slept, had not eaten, had just worked my ass. And they're like, ah, fuck it, let's keep them. Um, so I spent, Wait, yeah, you, that was, that was a, were you aware uh, during those two weeks that they thought you were someone else or was that? No, no. Cause it was oh, okay. not, it was just literally like, you know, my friend's got a kid named Josh. You should hire him. No one, you know, you yeah. get the job here. And um, I want to hear masses of the universe stories one day. Shit. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> talk, talk about movies that shouldn't have been made. The, um, <laughs> the, uh, um, no, that was, that was a fun experience. And then I spent several years working crew um, and always with an eye, you know, the idea was to get the education um, actually doing the job that, that uh, I didn't get at film school. And um uh, yeah, and then just sort of segued into writing slowly but surely. I ended up selling a script to some independent producers who uh, started out with high aspirations, and then by the time it was done, it was a, a new image film on one of Avi Lerner's companies. And um, this movie that had originally been uh, Peter Medak was going to direct, Gabriel Byrne, Stephen Ray in the leads, um, became a guy who had directed a bunch of straight-to-video action films, Casper uh, Van Dien and Robert Mitchum's grandson. Um, Wait, what was the title? It's called On the Border. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My father still insists it's a good movie. And uh, uh, it, it's always, to me, it's, it's the most um, undiluted expression of a father's love I'll ever receive. Because, <laughs> boy, is it not a good movie. But, and then, yeah, and then I just sort of worked in those minds for several years. I, uh, I did a couple of pictures with Mark Lester, um, which was a blast. And then, but uh, all, all the while doing that, kind of writing um, crappy straight-to-video action movies uh, by by day, and then at night, trying to write slightly better um, studio brand feature specs. 
and eventually um, sold one uh, to Paramount. And that kind of put me on the map as a, uh, um, you know, legit theatrical feature writer. Which one was that? Uh, that was a project called Three Gun Blues. Um, it was a, uh, a remake of, um, it's so funny when, when the sort of whole, uh, you know, defund the police thing started happening and people started sort of looking at, at cop films and sort of all the damage they had done over the years, which is a, I, I tend to subscribe to that view, even though there are a few <laughs> cop films I really love. I realize I have only in my life ever written one cop film. And it was a remake of a modern day remake of the three musketeers uh, set in the LAPD ah. and, and um, not just the three musketeers, but specifically Richard Lester's three musketeers. So all the characters are named after the actors who are in the greatest three musketeers movies ever made. Oh, nice. And um, yeah, it was fun. It was, uh, um, you know, in development forever. And then, uh, and tonally it was um, very consciously a Walter Hill film. And it was so bizarre because that tone seemed to mystify people. There were some folks in the studio who got it and loved it. And then there were others who were like, is it a comedy? Is it a this? Is it a that? And it just sort of, you know, like a lot of things, it got developed and then sort of frittered out. And then there was a change in administrations. And then about a year or two later, I heard they were bringing in some comedy writers to try to figure it out. And, you know, <laughs> nothing ever happened. But, but literally the first job I got um, after that, once I was sort of in the game, was um, History of Violence. So, and was it, that the uh, kind of thing where they're like, "Hey, we got the rights to this comic. What would you do with yeah, it?" Yeah, New Line, New Line um, had the rights to the book. Uh, um, the uh, I got I got to find a new way to tell this story. I feel like I've told it so often, <laughs> but you know, um, but uh, yeah, the executive at New Line had been a. Um, uh, I had first met him. He was my agent's assistant, my first real agent and had been a big supporter of my stuff. And now he was an executive new line. And um, uh, I don't think I've told this. I feel like enough time has gone by. I'm allowed to say this sort of thing. He and I had a conversation about the book about a year earlier. Uh, he knew I had read it and we had this sort of relationship that um, he did. He very much wanted to get me into new line. Um, but he also liked to, to sort of bust my balls. So he called me about a book he knew I didn't like. <laughs> and the whole thing was um the shortest version possible is like he's like come on in pitch your take on this you're not going to get the job we're talking to a bunch of a-list writers but i just want my people here to get to know you so we can bring you in on something where you have a chance and the freedom of not having to actually try to get the job and just try to dazzle them with my charm or whatever was i went fuck it and i pitched them the movie that uh, I would have made the story I would have come up with if I had been brilliant enough to come up with that title and that premise, because it's a great title and a great premise. And um, uh, I guess their feelings about it were similar to my own because they ended up um, not going with any of the big A-list writers and hiring the new guy. So. <laughs> Classic example where sometimes yeah, getting on the worked, thing yeah. is the, the, I guess thing the funny do. thing was I had to be thought of, I was talking to my wife about it the other day. The, um, it was made very clear to me, you're not going to get the job. Um, but come in and do it. And then when I found out Cronenberg wanted to do it, they were like, yeah, but he's not going to get the job. Cause his, <laughs> his last film had grown, you know, he'd made spider before that, which was you know, right. $400,000. Cause who expects a Ray Fiennes movie about a, you know, schizophrenic gibbering around London with no plot to make any, it wasn't meant to be a hit, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, I was the guy who wasn't supposed to get the job writing it. And he was the guy who wasn't supposed to get the job directing it. And, 
look, look how that worked. Out. So. <laughs> wow. They kind of reinvented him in a way. Yeah, yeah, for a while. There was that sort of interesting, um, uh, yeah, and then he did the- uh, The, the Vigo, Vigo phase, yeah. Sort of the Vigo years, yes. Yes. Uh, and then, well, obviously getting nominated for an Academy Award, pretty exciting. That was fun. And I've, I've seen you say in interviews that you felt very confident you were going to lose to Brokeback Mountain, which kind of oh, sure. emotionally yeah. freed you up to just be like, hey, this is just pretty fun. It's, it's a great ride to go on if you don't have that tension hanging over you. And by the way, none of us had that tension hanging over us, but there were, um, there were people who I guess didn't know that. And they seemed <laughs> to be very, not to be having the kind of great time that the rest of us were. But it's like, you know, yeah, here's, here's the, yeah, here's the good news. You're going to get to travel around the world and be feted like a frigging king and stay in the finest hotels and hang out in bars with George Clooney and Heath Ledger and go to award shows and be on TV and get interviewed by Joan Rivers. Here's the bad news. You're going to have to lose an award to Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana. You're like, (laughs) sign me up. You're like, that's okay. (laughs) Yeah. And for four months, you have an excuse not to work, you know? (laughs) It's true. uh, Yeah. Uh, Because I was on an assignment, but they're like, what are we going to do? We're going to harass him. He's up for an Oscar. uh, And a question I always like to ask, if you can remember, uh, do you remember Uh, what, because I'm sure, you know, going from not being nominated for an Oscar to being nominated for an Oscar uh, is a bit bit of a career uh, kick. Do you remember what your first, like, either the first kind of big meeting or like the first project someone brought to you after that, where you could kind of feel like, ooh, I'm I'm at now a different level of being taken seriously. Oh yeah, no, my my. Uh, in fact, my my girlfriend got me some. Um, got you can go to I don't know if you still can the the Converse All Star website and you can have them personalized a pair of sneakers for you for like 15 bucks. It's not a big deal, but she, she got a, a couple of pairs of sneakers for me with the J O B emblazoned on them. Cause I remember going to meetings and people kept saying, we want to be in the Josh Olson business. <laughs> and that just cracked me up. Um, and uh, so, yeah, but uh, yeah, that it, it was weird. It was weird. And, I mean, it's fun, but then at the same time, you start to realize you're now in the world where, um, at least for a little while, you can't be sure if, you know, did they bring you in because they actually like your writing, or do they just bring you in because now you have that asterisk? Yeah, you now know? your and, name appears on a different yeah, list for them. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, that's a kind of recurring thing that you sort of run into. Um, and like, you have to kind of be in it, I think, to, to fully get it, but it's like, because people are like, oh, yeah, it must be easy. You're like, no, it's still as hard as it ever was. And now you're not sure, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's because um, if somebody read a script of yours and like, oh, this is amazing. We got to work with you. Like, you're not going to call me if you don't mean that. But, yeah, they're just, did you, there were some, yeah. Did you ever have a moment where, uh, it's fairly specific, but of something where it was an idea you'd or a script even that you'd already shown to a specific producer or executive that they didn't like before and now all of a sudden they seem to get it or? <laughs> Not really, because I hadn't, I hadn't done too much before that, you know, in, in, that, in that world. Um, you know, I, I had sold the spec. Um, and that it didn't, it didn't budge that, uh, but yeah, there was, I don't think there was anything that kind of got resurrected because of it. And then when, how soon I'm trying to remember the dates in my mind, Steve will be better at this part. Uh, but how soon did halo pop up for you then after? I think was halo. Yeah. You tell me Steve was halo 2008, I think. 
Well, um, it was announced in uh, 2005, February. Well, that was, yeah, that was the original. I, I yeah. came on to it. Um, they had, they had, I think, gone through a bunch of writers on all working off of a earlier script. Was it? Yeah, uh, yeah Alex, Alex Garland. Garland. Yeah. I, never, I never saw the Alex Garland script. There was a sort of a decision to start from scratch. Oh, okay. Uh, which writers you followed up by any chance? Or are you? I'm all of them. I'm the last writer. Oh, you were the last. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you, wait, so I wish I wanted. I wish I could say I had something to do with that, but it just sort of ended well, on when my you watch. Were, um, well, Steve, maybe just quick for the audience, uh, in case people have no idea of it, can you maybe just give a little info on the Halo project? Yeah, I mean, like I was just saying, it was announced February 4th, uh, 2005, um, and then February 6th, 2005, the Alex Garland script first draft was complete. And then June 6th, um, the famous story happened where um, it's uh, Alex Garland's script went out to the studios. In right, Mexico. with the guys in the outfits. Yeah, dressed yes. as Master Chief, guarding the script, and execs like had two hours to read it and make their decision, right? Yeah, so all the messengers right. waited outside for them, you know, like dressed in armor. Like that story is so crazy. You know, Whenever I hear a story, though, like that, the thing I think about is what that was like for the people wearing the Master Chief outfits. Oh. Like, who, like, you know, were those just PAs? Were they actors? I wonder. Well, they were asked not to say a word or do anything, and one of them, I think, was about to pass out, and he had to sit down. <laughs> that was the one yeah. story I heard. But, um, but I guess the big problem was is that, yeah, like you guys were just saying, they had two hours to read the script, and... And also Microsoft had these crazy demands, like they wanted 10 million upfront fee for rights, approval over cast and director, and they wanted right. 60 first class plane tickets for Microsoft representatives and their guests at the premiere world at the movie premiere. And so like all of a sudden So they got know, their priorities right. Yeah. Is what you're saying. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then um yeah, it was for it was to five studios and then the next day like DreamWorks and Paramount and New Line dropped out and twentieth Century Fox and Universal were the last two studios in. And then um let me see and then yeah, and then Yeah, it was Universal when I got to it. It was universal with you. Yeah. And then, yeah. And, and then little by little, you know, like the New York times wrote like a big article, how, you know, the studios were upset by the way they handled it. And then let's see, I'll just fast forward. And then Peter Jackson eventually came on board yep. to be a producer on it. I think they wanted him to direct, but he wanted to produce. Well, when, yeah. so when you came on, was Neil Blumkamp still yeah. attached? To yeah. Direct? He was the director. He was, um, yeah. I mean, do I, so, my agents called me up and asked me, uh, they're all very excited because, um, you know, oh shit, here we go again. Oh, yeah. Pause for just a second. It's the same one. He's going the other way now. Yeah. So. Well, at least he's yeah. living. By the way, yeah, Blumkamp came on a year later, August 2006. He was attached. Uh, let's wait for the siren to go away. This reminds me of making movies when I was a kid because we lived by the airport. So it was always like a plane would go by. Kind of like that moment in Wayne's World where they're in the street and the car playing hockey and the cars right. come by and they're like, car, game on. Um, so, oh, cool. yeah, so my, my agents called me up and um, they're all excited. They're like, hey, we're gonna, Peter Jackson's in town and he'd love to meet with you to talk about write, you know, writing Halo. And um, uh, I, I got to apologize in advance because there's not a lot to my Halo story. It's okay. It's like <laughs> if, if you're looking for, you know, the riveting narrative and, 
you know, guys showing up in the middle of the night with bags full of money and Coke and guns. This is not, um, but I, I think uh, the mundane details are sometimes the ones. Someone, like the when most. I met him at the, uh, I want to see, is that the Bel Air hotel? The Beverly Hills hotel it was, I, I get them. It was the Beverly Hills hotel. And I was like, you know, they're like, look, it's the first meeting is just kind of preliminary thing. Really all you got to do is like you and Peter just, you know, if you guys get along, you got the job, which was nice to hear. Cause I'm a huge fan of his going way back. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, wait, I, I hear there's finally going to be a director's cut of dead alive coming out on Blu-ray. So oh, wow. I can't wait. I'm like, oh, when's that hitting? Cut. <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm a giant, giant fan of his going way back and, and sort of tapped into a lot of the same stuff he is. And I was like, odds are we're going to get along. I mean, not, I don't mean that as a, like, I'm so great. He'll love me. I was just like, this is kind of guy. Yeah. You know? And we get there and we got along great. We had this conversation. And, and then he asked me, you know, do you play the game? I'm like, Oh yeah, I play the game. And then he asked me, um, and do you watch the cutscenes? Do I need to explain what those are to your listeners? No, or, I think they are they all, they're all, yeah, they're nerds. They're nerds. <laughs> um, and I remember thinking about this beforehand and I was like, there wasn't enough time because, you know, I got the call and then a day and a half later about the meeting, there wasn't enough time to sort of absorb all that stuff. And I thought, I'm not going to lie to Peter Jackson because he'll find the fuck out. And if I lie to him and I get down to, to New Zealand and um, that that's when they find out that's bad for my career. And that's a bad thing to do as well. So I was like, I'm going to tell the truth. And I was like, honestly, I just play to blow shit up. I, I, I don't play the cutscenes. And he smiled and he went, great, me too. And I thought, <laughs> okay, good. Then we're, and, and we were off and running and I got the job. That was, it was, it was that easy. But, um, oh, it's, it's amazing. I, I was telling Josh before this show, I was like, I played Halo 2 through Reach and I can't tell you what it's about. <laughs> my, my friends no and I, back when people used to have LAN parties, for, for our younger viewers who maybe don't know, that was pre-internet when your friends you would all bring your own xbox and your own tv and you would like make a really nerdy basic circle or whatever spread out around the room all connect together and just like fight each other in the versus mode uh very little little familiarity with the actual story of the first look here's how i kept calling him master cylinder i I, seriously I, i could not remember that guy's name for the life of me um, so were you starting over like you were just starting the kind of page one rewrite starting from scratch yeah neil oh, wow. neil had a few ideas of sort of mostly they were structural it was going to be set in you know three three different locations sort of act one act two act three um act one was gonna there was a lot of stuff um uh a lot of a lot of his design ideas which obviously you'd seen before in straight out of johannesburg is short and other stuff but a lot of his design ideas um for earth in the first act kind of ended up in district nine later, just the look of it and everything. It was going to be kind of like that. Uh, and then it was, yeah. So it was, it was, um, I mean, do you want me to get into it or? Yeah. I'm just curious. Cause I've read the Alex Garland script, which we don't need to go into. That can be its own episode, no. but just for listeners, that was very faithful to the story of the game. Um, so in that sense, it was a good script, but games and movies are such different things that it definitely has the feeling of, I guess you would say a hat on a hat where it's like Marines fighting this alien race, but then there's a, like a secret alien base made by a third kind of alien that has a fourth kind of alien on it. You know, like it just kind of keeps going. So I'm curious what you're kind of starting over, especially with the idea that you just were almost using the aesthetic of the game 
and less of the actual story. Yeah, I mean, I think I think they had they had a lot of the, sort of the broad strokes narrative stuff. Um, I just didn't know the like who the characters were and sort of the general stuff in terms of the actual kind of. I guess there are novels now based on. Oh, wow, I, no idea, no idea. But um, yeah, so I I you know, and and I'll be honest, it's it's the attractions of the job were you know number one work with Peter Jackson. Number two, uh, all expense paid, uh, you know, luxury trip to New Zealand. And number three, write the Halo movie. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. And I don't, I don't tend to work like that. And I've, I've done that, for, but this was sort of such a cool thing. I was like, Fuck I don't yeah. think anyone would fault you that. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, but it's, it's, and I guess it would be a terrible thing to say if it was, you know, you know what? If like if I if it was about like Lord of the Rings, if I were like, yeah, I want to work with Peter Jackson, go to Zealand, ah, fuck Lord of the Rings, yeah. who gives a shit? <laughs> like you don't want that guy writing Lord of the Rings, but but yeah, I kind of think like with Halo, having having someone who was not particularly um, devoted to the material was not a bad idea, and uh, uh, and none of us were, um, but uh, um, but we were interested in making a cool movie. You know what I mean? It's like. Remember when you're a kid, you'd come over to your friend's house and they had cooler toys than you do, and yeah. you'd be like, "Ooh, now I can play with their toys. I wish I could have their toys for a week. I could come up with cooler stuff to do." Well, here we were. <laughs> we have this cool Halo shit, and now we get to play with it. And I get to play with it with, you know, Peter and his team and Neil, and um, it was an incredible group. And uh, so, yeah, got got to New Zealand, um, and we would go to uh, Peter's house every day, and. Um, I, I've said this before. It, 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 I don't know if people care or not, but it really meant a lot to me just in terms of my affection for him and my perception of him. You know, you go to a lot of houses of, you know, filmmakers and various and sundry people who are operating at the level that Peter Jackson is. And you walk around their house and you're like, where does anyone live? You know, it just looks like every room is curated with its own maid that cleans it every five minutes. And you know, it all looks like a set. There's just no sign of life. And Peter's house is big and it's beautiful and it's nice. And it's fucking lived in. You walk into the house in the morning, you can smell that they just made dinner for the kid or breakfast for the kids, you know, and, and books are, you know, on tables half read. And it's like a human being lives here. It's like, he actually lives in his house. That, that seriously, you enough time around a lot of people like that it really starts counting that uh you know because some of them i swear to god they just go into their pods when you're not around they don't <laughs> actually live there and it was um uh, uh oh my god i'm so fran and philippa and um and peter uh and then and then neil and we would sit in his study and eat this giant study and had you know fucking oscars everywhere you could see staring down at you but it looked like a big study that somebody lived it packed with books and we just got to work kind of trying to break the story. And, um, uh, that, that was kind of it. We got, uh, we chugged along. I was down there for, I think two weeks. Um, and then about eight days into it, it was like, okay, stand, stand by. We're dealing with some bullshit with Microsoft. And then I basically just spent a couple of days sort of st sticking around the hotel, waiting to hear what was going on. And it was, um, they were just having a hard time getting Microsoft to kind of grasp that they were making a Peter Jackson film, um, which was really frustrating. I'm not, I'm not sure what their issues were. I know that they felt like, um, uh, I was probably not even the same people anymore. And 
not like they're beating down my door or vice versa to hire me again. So they didn't, <laughs> and they didn't hire me anyway. My, I worked for Universal, who were great. They didn't seem to get that Peter Jackson was kind of the bigger name in movies than Halo. And I remember at one point the studio commissioned a, um, just a, a sort of a poll for them. And it was like gauging the interest of Halo, the motion picture, which was, you know, let's say X, and Peter Jackson's Halo, the motion picture, which was, you know, X cubed, just to try to get across to Microsoft. There was like, this, you can't treat this guy yeah. like some schmuck programmer you hired to, you know, fix one of your cutscenes. This is Peter fucking Jackson. And, um, and I know that that stuff eventually just got to a point where, where it just killed the project, which was frustrating because we were, we were chugging along and having a great time. So it was like, you know, seven or eight days working with, with all of them. And then, a couple of days waiting to find out what was going on and then, uh, you know, quick farewell back on the plane, back home. And what was the version as much as you can remember, obviously it was a little while ago, but you even know that it's in the Alex Garland thing. We never see earth was earth now in play. Yeah. When- yeah, yeah. It starts on earth. There was a kid. Um, who I don't think was, I, I think that was our creation. Um, and when I say R, I don't mean editorial. I mean somebody in the room. I don't, you know, it could have been me, it could have been Frank, it could have been Peter. Someone was like, there's this kid uh, who's going to get involved eventually with Master Cylinder, Master, Master Chief, <laughs> and uh, um, end up in this fight with... Uh, it's pretty good. I didn't actually... I'm a terrible guest. I did no research uh, coming in. <laughs> I was like, ah, I lived it. I uh, the Dominion, is that a thing? The bugs? Yeah. Uh, yeah, the little the little bug creatures are like I think they're called. Well, there's the them. flood. Was that still the flood? The flood. Yeah. Oh wait, then the are the Dominion the aliens? I don't. Know, but it was like I'm trying to remember because again, there's there's three different. There's the aliens they're fighting. There's right. the long dead aliens that the aliens they're fighting worship as God, and then there's the flood, which are the like that's it. Uh, parasite so yeah, the, creatures. They they end up on a planet where I think it's just like master chief i kept doing this while we were working no no one thought it was funny because they were all foreign they didn't know master cylinder um master chief uh and this kid and is there like a there's some sort of tinkerbell like a holographic tinkerbell character there yeah cortana who's like the ai that's uploaded master chief's suit right wait the covenant i think is covenant the covenant the flood it's all coming back. Um, uh, I did get a brief tour of Weta um, with Peter, which was amazing. Oh man, um, the one, the one. We'll get back to Halo in a minute. Just the, my one takeaway. Do people know this? Um, they had all these models of characters they had built for uh, mostly Lord of the Rings. There was some Kong stuff there, um, and there were there were a ton of models for Halo, which were amazing. They were using three D printers. It was like early three D printers to build some of the props. Um, but the, uh, uh, is it Balrog? What's the big giant creature in the first Lord of the, the Rings? Flaming movie? one? No, I guess I'm not, it's not the Balrog. It's the sort of the big bald thing that beats the hell out of him in the first film. But they had one of those there. That was the first time I noticed it. And then I noticed with all the others, they, they all have genitals. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> they, they cover them up in the films and everything, but. But they, not at Weta. <laughs> not at Weta, Yeah. Um, a lot of, a lot of penises at Weta is all I'll say, but, um, none of them real. And, uh, but, um, yeah, so it was going to be this kid in this kind of district nine looking earth ends up on a ship 
you know, for whatever reason, I don't even remember. Um, and they end up on this planet. Is it a, is there like a, is it a, yeah, it's a ring it's like, planet. There's, there's some, I know people like this. There are <laughs> aspiring screenwriters listening to this who've like read every Halo book and played every game. They're like, that motherfucker doesn't know anything. <laughs> They're like, that's the name of the movie. It's Halo. Oh, is that it? The planet is Halo? Okay, there you go. It's round, right? It's, I mean, yeah, most it's a ring. Are, but it's a ring. Like yeah. Disc World, basically. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And um, uh, yeah, so they were going to end up on that thing battling the aliens and then slowly discover that there were these, the flood, you know, now they're going to battle aliens and the flood at the same time. And master cylinder has got to, I don't know, <laughs> come, come wrestle with his own humanity. We were very committed to never showing his face. Oh, that right was on. never going to happen. And I know there was some controversy here around that, not around our decision, but there was all this like, are they going to show his face? Aren't they? I was like, no, we're not. <laughs> like dread. Um, Did you get a chance to see like the warthog at Weta or any of? Oh yeah, things? yeah, yeah. The that's the yeah the uh, the the jeep, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. That was pretty cool. Because uh, they were building like weapons and everything too, right? They built weapons. They built one of the aliens, um, which I still have a photo of around somewhere. And uh, um, yeah, but they they had they had made the truck and they had made a bunch of the guns and they made some of the aliens. So yeah, like in District Nine, the weaponry reminded me of Halo. Was did was could you tell like that was like reused from Halo or it, it could be, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, it was my first introduction to a 3d printer, which is a pretty cool thing. Right? Yeah. It's, uh, it's very uh, Star Trek. I'd imagine, especially yeah. back they then. A, they had a tiny Naomi Watts that they had done <laughs> up for King, for King Kong. And it was amazing. Cause like, you know, it was maybe an inch high and you'd look at it. It was like, Holy shit, that's Naomi Watts. And they would just shrink it down, you know? And, did you by any chance hear any of the controversy about Blum Camp? Because I think that was the other rumor that was going around was that, or not rumor, it was it was kind of put in the press that they weren't happy. They wanted kind of Jackson to direct it, but they weren't too sure about Blum Camp. Right. Oh, really? I, I, by the time I got on, I mean, he was, you know, he was Peter's guy and he, he was great. I loved Neil. We, we had dinner a couple of times and, and got along great. And, you know, his shorts are, are amazing. Yeah. Well, I think Blum Camp, I know, he had a horrible time, like as far as what he said in interviews. Um, I'm sure what he put up with from them and dealt with, yeah, because because yeah. if they were if they were disrespecting Peter Jackson, um, just imagine how they were treating, yeah, this guy who directed some shorts, you know. Um, but no, he was great. He had a great story sense. There was clearly no question that that you know he could handle the sort of visual end of it, and um, yeah, I mean, it, you know, I, the one thing I'm confident of is that if we had been allowed to to finish the work, it would have been a good movie. Whether or not, you know, I guarantee you there would be Halo fans out there be like, fuck that movie. <laughs> well, according to like the, the short he made, that Halo one, um, Landfall, it's incredible. Like, because I was always like, what's a Halo movie going to be like? But then when I saw his short, it was just mind blowing. Which was made out of like test footage they m did for the movie, right, Steve? Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it sounds like. But it, it was incredible. Like, he nailed it. Like, nailed it. Um, yeah. It, it bums me out, you know? Yeah. No, he's, he's a, a great filmmaker, a great guy. I mean, I'm, I'm, what's going on? Is his, his alien isn't happening. Is that right? Or is I don't, I mean, I, I can't wish. imagine. Who knows if it'll, that, that's a whole other episode. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. Make that. I mean, we could still use it, you know? <laughs> it's, it, the, the designs looked incredible for that one. Yeah. Um, maybe jumping around now to just some other things. I, I know one thing I've always found just looking at it from afar, like I said, I went to that 
uh, Harlan Ellison's screening, and I remember you wrote a great obit for him in um, the WGA magazine uh. Uh, after he passed, sadly. Um, but just your whole relationship with him, uh, you know, it's it's inspiring. I'm sure it was for you, but even just for other people to know the idea of befriending somebody who was so influential on you growing up both creatively and personally. And I'm just curious about any unmade projects you guys might have had, because I know you <laughs> worked on some, a lot of things yeah. together. You know, um, no, there were a lot of conversations about things. I, I, uh, I, um, yeah, it, first, first things first, it, it, it was insane. It was, uh, um, and I've talked about this before, so I'll try to be brief in case people have heard this crap, but you know, I, I was sort of coming to the end of the Oscar nomination thing and, and you're really like, you know, th things are going to go back to some vestige of normal soon. Have I managed to make the most of it? And I thought, Oh wait, you know, I would love to meet Harlan Ellison and thank him. Just thank him. He was the writer who made me want to be a writer. Literally had an English teacher in ninth grade and gave me one of his books. And I was like, this is what I want to do. And I called up, um, actually a production designer on masters of the universe. <laughs> See, it's still William Stout. Off. Yeah. And Bill Stout, my first boss, a uh, lovely guy in new Harlan. Well, and I called him up and I said, Bill, I want to put you in a spot. Say no, if you don't, but like, would you just check, you know, if Harlan even knows my movie, let alone liked it. Um, just, you know, if he did tell him the guy who wrote it, would just love to buy him lunch to thank him. I can just call him two minutes and Bill goes, uh, Harlan wants you to come up to the house. <laughs> <laughs> and we, um, it was the next day and we just sat and talked for hours. And, um, there was just this moment where Harlan just stopped in the middle and smiled and he said, I, I like you kid. You're, you're my kind of, you're my kind of person. And, and I just remembered like this sort of double edged, like on the one hand, you're like, holy shit. And on the other hand, you're like, well, it sort of have to be because I spent my formative years stuffing my fat head <laughs> yeah. full of his stuff. It's sort of, you know, if I didn't turn out his kind of person, it would be really weird. And we just, you know, it just, it just became this incredible friendship. I mean, we talked every day. We saw each other at least once a week. We, um, you know, just constant, you know, I get these phone calls at 3 AM and, you know, he just wanted to ramble on and no one else was up. And um, it's a weird thing. I remember a couple years into it, I was starting to, I was thinking about buying a house and I get this frantic call from Harlan. He's like, you got to come up here. The house across the street for sale. And I go and I look <laughs> and it wasn't a part of town I wanted to live in necessarily. I mean, it's beautiful. He lives up in the hills over Sherman Oaks, but just not where I wanted to be. And I'm walking around. It's like, it's kind of a nice house. And, but imagine going from like, oh my God, Harlan Ellison is this God who walks the earth like a man who I would kill just to spend, you know, if I can just get him to read one page I've written and tell me what he thinks of it. That'd be amazing to going, oh fuck, if I buy this house, Harlan will be over all the fucking time. Yeah. So that's, <laughs> that's a sitcom premise. Right? <laughs> it really is. And, uh, um, and he would have been, and I told him that. So, uh, but yeah, I mean, he was, I, I introduced him at many events. Um, I was not being funny. People thought I was as my second father and my first child. Um, <laughs> and he was, he was both those things, but, uh, just the dearest, the dearest friend and, and one of the just best human beings, um, I've ever known. I know, I know some people find him problematic and, 
I get it, but um, a lot of Harlan was just like, you just had to get the wavelength he was on. I've seen him blow up in what seemed to be extreme rage at people, but it's one of the funniest things you've ever seen. If you, And he sort I, of assumed you got the joke, and if he didn't get the joke, fuck yeah. you. And it's like, I imagine his rage being a little bit like uh, Mr. Costanza on Seinfeld, but... <laughs> <laughs> um, it was, it, it could be over the top, but I don't know, for some reason, you know, I was, I was, uh, I've never seen anybody else make fun of his height and live to tell the tale. I did it all the time. Um, I've written with him. We, we wrote a, a an episode of a anthology TV show called masters of science fiction, which was an amazing experience. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was great. It's worth looking out for. Um, we got Brian Danahy and John Hurt. And, uh, directed by Jonathan Frakes and just an incredible experience. But, I had this, I had made progress with him over the years because um, he was a real stickler about his material and, and rightly so. And Harlan was very much a, a, a pro stylist. He was someone who was, um, you know, screenwriters are I think naturally collaborative and uh, short story writers and novelists are God, you know? And so the whole concept of other people coming in and bringing their creativity to a thing always kind of rubbed him a little wrong. And, um, I had finally, I think, gotten it through his, his, I had definitely got through his, I kept telling him, I was like, look, you, you know, someone's going to make a movie of one of your things and I get some detail wrong and you're going to hate it and you're going to badmouth it forever. I go, you need to get over that because what we need to do is sell your stuff. You want Hollywood to do to you what they did to Philip K. Dick. Basically, take your best material, mangle it, dumb it down <laughs> so that 98% of the people on the planet know your name but have no actual clue as to why you're so great because all they've seen <laughs> are the stupid movies and you're going to cash these giant checks. And he liked that. <laughs> and we got down the road with a couple of projects over the years and every time just Harlan would start to emerge. It would be like, you run with a kid, you got creative freedom. And, and then we'd sort of start to get into it. He's like, well, here's what needs to happen. I'd be like, Harlan, you gave me creative freedom. Yeah, 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 but you're going to fuck it up if you do it that way. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, so I'd say the, the, the few things, and I, I learned my lesson, but every couple of years I'd, I'd get ahead of steam up and go, let's try to do this now. And, and it would all kind of crash and burn. Um, it, it was fine. It was an excuse to sort what of- What was the one, one of his either stories or novels that you thought could make a really great movie? Um, well, we were working briefly uh, for a little while on The Star Lost, um, his terrible, terrible, terrible TV show from the 70s. <laughs> which was based on a great script and a great idea that just got completely mangled and he had the rights to it. Um, and he had recently published it as a graphic novel called Phoenix without ashes, which was a really, really cool idea. And the idea of doing it as a TV show was, was sort of a natural. Um, and uh, which, which is a, the shortest version possible. It's a story of these kids live in what appears to be sort of, you know, Amishville. It's hard to tell when it is, is it 18th century? Is it 19th century? And, um, they have this kind of forbidden love and uh, it, it, it catches up with them. And the, the boy is going to be punished, probably killed uh, for, for um, having this thing with the wrong girl. And he runs away and he discovers this steel door in the ground and he goes into it and it takes him into uh, this control room. And he realizes that the world he has grown up in um, is actually a spaceship. And it's part of a giant collection of kind of, uh, these globes in which 
Um, we find out that the planet Earth has been destroyed hundreds of years ago, and all these different uh, cultures and communities each got a globe and created sort of a world within, and it's been going on for so long that everyone's forgotten. And so all these different weird cultures and groups and times um, are on this giant ship, and they don't, none of them know they're on a ship. And 500 years ago, uh, there was an accident, and the thing is slowly heading towards the sun. And so this kid and, and uh, the, the girl have to kind of make their way to all these other worlds and convince everybody that they're actually on a spaceship and that they have to learn how to steer the thing out of the sun. That sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. So, um, and wait, um, am I remembering correctly, uh, Harlan himself had his uh, kind of famous unmade adaptation of an Asimov book oh I, yeah i robot yeah and they i think they amazing. they like published, they published that. it yes, yeah. they did. yes they did. i believe there was a while you could go to best buy and you could buy the blu-ray for the will smith movie and it had the harlan script attached to it <laughs> implying that there was any connection whatsoever <laughs> uh, of course there's none that's pretty good no yeah. like any talk of like a boy in the dog remake or sequel or anything um, we kicked that around a couple times. He, uh, um, the, yeah, there was, there was thought of like, you know, a TV show, which would be kind of fun, mm-hmm. um, that makes but sense. it never sort of, it never got beyond kind of conversation stages. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that would have been fun. That would have been fun. Yeah. <laughs> I was also going to say something. I don't remember where I read this, but either you're working on it now or in the past, you were working on something with Mick Jagger. Yeah. So, um, uh, the first thing was, yeah, just several years ago, um, I, I got hired to, uh, write a, write a script with him based on an idea he had, um, which was an amazing experience. Um, film, well, you know, didn't, didn't get made may still, although it's completely transformed. Um, it was a project called tabloid. It kind of got killed when, uh, the film um nightcrawler the jake uh movie came out there were some similarities there um but years later uh whoops sorry um yeah uh, several years later i mean just recently in the last year i still haven't figured out the most concise way to discuss this (laughs) uh I, i well a couple years ago i wrote um an audio drama technically a podcast called bronzeville and it was a, a fantastic project. It was one of the best times I've ever had. I wrote every episode of this thing. It's sort of old-time radio. Um, each episode's about 45 minutes long. Uh, it's about the numbers racket in Chicago in the 40s. And it's um, Lawrence Fishburne and Lorenz Tate and Tika Sumter and Amari Hardwick, this amazing cast. And, in fact, I just, I just heard the second season, which I also wrote every episode of, which is coming out <laughs> shortly. It's now done. Um, really, really proud of it. Really fun. And a really really exciting medium. Um, you know, I grew up listening to records of old time radio shows and I always kind of loved them as a kid. They're like movies in your head. And the opportunity to do this was a really interesting challenge. And I have always, always wanted to work with fish. And so it was an opportunity to do that, which was just an absolute dream come true. Um, and I had such a good time doing it, uh, that I wanted to kind of do more in that, in that arena. And, found out kind of meeting with other companies that, that do it, that do audio drama, um, that, that they all kind of, they all kind of suck. They, um, <laughs> there's not a huge amount of money up front, which is fine, but 
they all wanted to do masses of, of, you know, rounds and rounds of notes on, on every outline. And then now rounds and rounds of notes on every episode. And you're like, there's a reason you get paid a lot of money in TV. It's to put up with that shit. But if you're not <laughs> going to pay me the TV money, you gotta, there's gotta be a concession. You know? mm-hmm. And, um, basically, uh, my friend Allison Anders, great filmmaker, had this show that um, she she thought would make an interesting, you know, dramatic podcast, and I, I agreed. And she asked me if I wanted to produce it, and knowing nothing about producing, I was like, sure. And um, we we took it around to all these companies, and yeah, they kept coming back. So these, you know, everybody wanted it, and they all wanted to, you know, put us through these incredible paces to do it. And we were like, it's not worth it, you know? And I just had this sort of simple idea of like, someone should start a podcast studio where, you know, we do audio dramas and we go after, you know, established talent because you want people who have proven they can do it and are cognizant of their own limitations and so forth. Um, and, and find their, like, what's their passion project? You know, Matt Weiner was chugging around for like 10 years, making a living as a great TV writer. And he had Mad Men in his back pocket. And, you know, I've been that guy. I know how insane your agents get when it's like, you know, so it's time to go out with a new TV spec. And you're like, <laughs> yeah, let's go out with Mad Men again. They're like, dude, nobody wants your show about advertising execs of the 60s. And you're like, yeah, I don't care. We're going out with it again. And you're like, oh, Christ, all right. Well, we raise in money. So we want to find those people before they have to spend 10 years doing that. And um, uh, we'll, you know, produce your show. You write it the buck stops with you creatively. It's like, let's, let's find these writers, trust that they're good. Let's not note them to death. Let's allow them to like own the property that they created. And, um, uh, you know, and, and hopefully in success goes on to be a TV show and, you know, we get to produce it. So, um, it seemed like a pretty simple idea. I'm just like, let's start a studio where we try treat writers well. And um, I, I bounced it off a really good friend of mine who, who passed away, sadly, a couple of weeks ago, Steve Bing. Um, I had worked with him on a couple of projects. So we did a Willie Nelson thing together years ago that was a blast. And Steve was just one of the best people I've ever known and, and loved writers. He'd been a screenwriter. Willie Nelson's script? Uh, yeah, I wrote it. Yeah. Oh, oh. We can talk about that in a minute. If you want. <laughs> Another unmade film. I got a million of them. Um, but uh, Steve loved the idea. And called up um, Kevin Sujihara, who was at the time the head of Warner Brothers, since since not not anymore, um, and pitched him on the idea. And Kevin really liked it and said, "Bring it into us." And then along the way, I get this phone call from Steve one day because you know I worked with Mick. I had a great time working with him. And fucking Mick Jagger, you never get over the fact that you're sitting in a room with Mick Jagger. You know, we we didn't stay in touch. I mean, it's not we don't. <laughs> you're hang. not texting just, with Mick Jagger. Yeah, no. Like, hey man, how's it going? But Steve calls me up. He's like, hey, um, I was telling Mick about this thing, and Mick loves old-time radio and, and uh, wanted to know if uh, he could come in with us. I'm like, <laughs> so all of a sudden, it's, it's me and Steve and Mick. And we had to go in and pitch it to Warner Brothers. And um, the day before the pitch, because it was going to be me and Steve and Victoria Pearman, who's um, Mick's producing partner, who's amazing. And I'd worked with her on tabloid. And the day before, um, get this phone call. It's like, hey, you know, Mick would like to come to the meeting. And like, sure. So Mick, Mick comes to the pitch meeting. I think some of the people at Warner's didn't know he was coming because it was so last minute. <laughs> and uh, in fact, I started going to the security uh, desk and checking in and, um, you know, I give him my name. They're like, yeah, and I go, are my, the rest of my people on there? And 
they had they had Steve down. And I go and and there are other partner is going to be here is, is his name on there and they i know there's nobody else here what's his name i go mick, mick jagger and um i remember that the two guards one of them had to explain to the other it was hilarious like you know no like the rock star oh really like the rock star yeah like the rock star I was like, okay. um, <laughs> and uh yeah so we went in i i i still pitched it it was like mick mick was there to <laughs> it's a surreal meeting of my life um, you know, and, and, and here's Mick Jagger to, to tell you all how great he thinks this idea is. I was going to um, say, Mick Jagger is so famous that that's the kind of name you might write on something when you don't want to give your real name. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but anyway, yeah, so Warner's went ahead with it and we're now, um, we've got a home at Warner Brothers. We've uh, greenlit our first three shows. We're just, just sort of beginning the process of, of writing them. Um, but it's been great fun because you go to, you know, really good writers and, you know, look, you tell them, yeah, you're going to get paid. It's not, you know, you get paid more writing a pilot than you would getting paid to write every episode of a season of your show here. But it's your show. You have creative control. You own it. And, you know, you'll have this, all these facilities behind you. And um, it's, it's so much fun telling writers they're, you know, going to get paid less than they've ever been paid before and work harder than they've ever worked. And their response is, holy shit, I can't wait. But. That was my response when, you know, Bronzo came my way. It was just so much fun. So, yeah, sorry, long answer, but yes. So I've, No, that sounds um, really cool. Well, we had one last thing we were going to ask you about, but now it's become two things. I want to hear what this Willie Nelson project uh, was. Was it like a biopic or? No, no, no. It was um, right after history. Uh, one of my, in fact, it was Kale Boyder, again, my exec at New Line, came to me and said, look, everyone here is thrilled to the film. We're going to find like a great, you know, big feature for you to work on. But in the meantime, we have this little Willie Nelson. Are you a Willie Nelson fan? Would you like to write a Western for Willie Nelson? Of course I would. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, it was actually going to be an honest to God singing cowboy movie. Ah. Um, but it was a weird one. And Steve and I, it's where Steve and I met, he was the producer on it. And we've, we've just sort of marveled over the years. Cause it was so, it would have been a blast it so didn't fit with what a studio film was, you know, even new line, which is kind of adventurous and funky that there was always this sense of like sooner or later, they're going to remember that we're doing this and just pull the plug. And um, yeah, I wrote a couple drafts of the thing, got to spend a summer, you know, on the bus with Willie. Um, I, I think I sort of remember. Uh, and um, uh, it, it, it was, about, and then, yeah, at a certain point, new line looked at it and goes, Oh yeah, we can't, make a singing cowboy movie with <laughs> Willie Nelson. And, and that was that. But um, uh, it was an absolute blast. I mean, Jesus Christ. I can I only to, imagine. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't, you know, uh, flying off to Kansas City to go hang out with Willie while he's playing a tour of minor league ballparks with Bob Dylan in Kansas. I mean, just surreal, <laughs> amazing experiences that uh, – um, Definitely, definitely worth worth the uh, uh, you know worth worth the price of the ticket. But um, yeah, it was frustrating because it was it was a cool script and it was you know it wasn't a Gene Autry singing cowboy. We built it. You know, he's a he's a guitar player. He stands yeah. in bars and, and he shoots people. But um, <laughs> ah, who knows? Did he Someday. smoke weed? Uh, not not uh, the character didn't. No, that's what I was asking. I know, I know, <laughs> Willie did. <laughs> uh, all right, Steve, you want to close us out here? Yeah, I had one more. Um, were you 
yeah, so I found like a write-up that you were involved with the Todd McFarlane. Um, McFarlane or... Oh, the McFarlane Wizard of Oz. McFarlane, sorry, I destroy every name. The, the <laughs> Twisted Land of Oz. I know you were involved with an Oz feature. I was just curious about that one. Yeah, it's, uh, again, I guess the statute of limitations is up. I can, I can be a little... So I had a meeting with, um, general meeting with the producers on that. Uh, and again, it wasn't about that. It was about just sort of a general, like, come on in, meet these guys. They like your work. And I guess Todd had just come in. He had a bunch of toys... Yeah, I think you just said the name. Was it some, some dark world of Oz or something? Twisted Land of Oz. Twisted Land of Oz, yeah. Like Toto is a big, giant, man-eating <laughs> monster. I don't know. And he had pitched them, I guess, an idea of a movie based on them. And uh, they were still, I think, reeling. <laughs> and uh, uh, he came in and just, uh, the, guy, the producer just mentioned, like, oh, yeah, Tom McFarlane was just here pitching this dark sequel to Wizard of Oz. And... I, it was just one of those things. I mean, I, I love the film. I had grown up on the books and I didn't know anything about the Todd toys. And I was, I just went, Oh, you know, it'd be a cool, cool sequel. The wizard of Oz is if did that, 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 and the other thing, this thing just sort of fell out and he went, Oh my God, that's great. Yeah. 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 Do you want to, do you want to, do you want to develop that? And I was like, seriously, I was like, yeah, I go, sure. I guess. <laughs> and, um, uh, we took it into the studio, which is Warner's and who has the rights to the books Meaning, and sorry, in the original film is what they have the rights to. So it means you can use the golden slipper, the ruby slippers and the yellow brick road and all that stuff because that stuff is not strictly from the book. So you can actually make a sequel to the, you mm-hmm. know, the great MGM musical, which would be probably blasphemous, but an interesting challenge. <laughs> and they bought it. and be, But because there's this sort of sense of because it all was sparked by this conversation I wasn't even there for it with Todd, you know, that he would be a producer on it. And um, so I never met Todd. I've, I've seen some of the toys, but I remember a couple months into it when it got announced, um, I, I just started work on it. And I read this whole interview with Todd McFarlane about his Oz movie and Warner's and how excited he is that the writer of history of violence is doing his vision. And I'm like, I, I'm not doing any, this thing has nothing to do with you. It was just bizarre. And at one point he called me up and asked me if I wanted to kick some ideas around. And it was, but it was this odd thing. I was like, does he not know that we're, I don't quite know. I was like, oh, I'm doing fine. Thanks. And that was sort of the extent of our thing. But I kept reading these articles where he would talk about, you know, um, uh, you know, how, how I was adapting his stuff and so forth. And literally it had nothing to do with his toys. It, it was, uh, um, weirdly it was, it was, uh, so it was going to be, uh, Dorothy's granddaughter, um, is, uh, God, what's it? Her, her grandmother has been fired from her job cause she's been telling stories about this fantasy world to the students. She's a, she's a teacher and there is, um, the nephew of the Wicked Witch um, is this, uh, uh, I like to think I was ahead of my time, but um, actually Joe Dante beat me to this with Gremlins too. Uh, <laughs> but the, the villain of, of the Wizard of Oz sequel was basically Donald Trump. He was the nephew <laughs> of the Wicked Witch and he had discovered the doorway to Oz in his aunt's old house and he was developing Oz, basically. Um, like he was building turn it, condos yeah, trying to, there and stuff? Try, yeah, and, and turning it into an, a theme park that people could go to from here. And, and as Oz um, uh, started sort of dying at his hands, uh, we find out that it's linked to our world via the imagination and people are losing their imaginations here. 
And so um, young Dorothy, because uh, that's her name too, um, has to go to Oz to save it from the, the Donald Trump character, which means she basically has to, you've got to get the band back together and yeah. uh, put them all. And it was a really fun, fun project. I remember uh, the opening, I had a munchkin sort of spy. It's kind of James Bond munchkin being chased by um, so many years. I can't remember these there's, a, there's a witch who has uh, removable heads in the books. Oh, and, who was in Return to Oz. Yeah. Oh, an amazing yeah. film. Yeah. And there's a scene where he's, she's chasing him. He's stolen something from her. And he runs through a room and there's all these heads on uh, in, in these glass sort of fishbowls and they're all yelling at him. And he jumps out the window and you see that he's on this giant mountainside and he's plunging, plunging, plunging. And then he pulls a ripcord and he's got a parachute that has the Oz logo on it straight out of James <laughs> Bond. Um but uh, yeah, it was, but it was a lot of fun and it was a sort of an attempt to try to do something in the spirit of, you know, the film while keeping faithful to the books. And it was one of those, you know, there's all these things that sort of happened. Remember when there were like five Robin Hood movies in development at the same time? Mm-hmm. There were, all of a sudden there were a couple of Oz movies and somehow Sam Raimi's um, Robert Downey movie about the backstory of the wizard of Oz uh, was, was sort of the one that got made that kind of killed us. But uh, it was, it was a fun project. And it was one of those ones that, you know, if I had sat down and really thought, you know, am I going to go out and pitch wizard of Oz and be like, I no no one will want to hear my pitch of the wizard of Oz. <laughs> but I just sort of lucked into it. And it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I w- that, that's what I really wish had gotten made. That was a blast. Well, maybe uh, in a few more years. You never know. Yeah, it sounds like, yeah, because it was weird. At that time, it was, yeah, Oz the Great and Powerful. Because it was at, before Sam Raimi, it was Sam Mendez with Robert Downey Jr. And right. then Surrendered Dorothy was going to be directed by Drew Barrymore. That's and right. Then, there was, yeah, was that, I feel like there was one more, maybe not. But Universal was going to make Wicked. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there were all these Oz things. And, um, but they all had sort of giant attachments and, you know, they just had me, although we had the original film, you know? Yeah. It It feels valuable. Yeah. Of course, it was going to be called Oz, the return to the Emerald City. It looks like. Uh, Maybe. That's what it was announced (laughs) as. I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. 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 But it was just the weirdest thing every now and then reading. And then somewhere down the line, like I remember reading an interview with Todd and he was like, uh, you know, what happened to the Oz movie? He's like, ah, I read Olson's script. And it's like, he just, he just didn't get what I was trying for. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah. I I read that too. And he described his is that Dorothy is going to be like Ripley from alien. And (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and the Kona fan. Oh, God bless you, Todd. Um, anyway, yeah, sure. No, ours, ours. I mean, literally nothing like that. Um. <laughs> uh, well, Josh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, where sure. can people find you on social media if you would like anyone? Oh God, I think just look, look, look me up. You'll find me. I'm, uh, oh yeah, don't, don't I'm check out his podcast. Yeah, make uh, sure. Yeah, please, please check out the podcast because that is. Um, uh, it is such a labor of love and it's so, it's so work minimal. Um, Joe, Joe Dante and I uh, talk to people whose work we admire about the movies they love. It's called the movies that made me. And um, it's really fun. We've had a lot of friends on or friends of friends. And every now and then I like um, uh, a couple times now I sort of, uh, um, you know, I go through these fits where I binge watch in, you know, entire seasons of shows and uh, twice I, f- I fell in love, believe it or not, it's not what you'd think of when you think of me, I guess, uh, pose on FX, which is just an amazing, <laughs> amazing program. And then also lodge 49, 
um, which was on, uh, uh, oh my God, what was Lifespan? It was on AMC, uh, both of which just, you know, just completely rocked my world. And I was like, ooh, and I stalked the creators of those shows and had them. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's just, it's a blast. And it's, it's um, you know, conversations with people you've, you may have heard conversations with before, but not this one. We talk about the movies they love and uh, uh, it's always, it's always fun. It's always fun. And it's not work at all. So. No, I loved your Adam Rifkin episode, and then oh. I also love like a, my favorite movie of last decade was Universal Soldier: Day of Reckoning, and you had Scott Atkins on, who's like yes. a favorite actor, and I thought that was so awesome. So like, Scott was a blast. That's that's a fun thing too, is sort of tracking down people like him who are like, you want to talk to me? You're like, fuck yeah, I want to talk to you. <laughs> Scott Atkins is like, I he's he's a great great action star. If yes. people don't know who he is, and um, so underrated. Yeah, he is, and I think he's on the verge of you know he'll he'll end up in the right film. Um, yeah, he's that he's that kind of guy. If it's a low budget movie, he's the main character. If it's a big yeah. budget movie like Doctor Strange, he's like one of the bad guys. Yeah, he's like he gets his ass kicked by Captain Marvel or Captain America <laughs> or something. But um, yeah, he's got it. Was it Debt Collectors? Um, you know, we had the, uh, the the director of that Jesse Johnson on as well, who's great. Um, and then he's also yeah, he's like the villain in the new Donnie Yen film, Ip Man Four. Um, yeah, and it's the mini boss in uh, Expendables too. Uh, like, yeah, yeah. I exactly. go on. is awesome. Yeah, I do. Like one of my favorite actors. I was so happy you had him on. Yeah, no, he was he was great. He was great. He couldn't believe we wanted to talk to him. Man. I was like, come on, oh, man. Cool. Yeah. Although I did, I believe I'm still. Um, I'm so glad we're all in quarantine because I did, I did uh, tell him I was going to kick his ass when he said Rocky. <laughs> he said Rocky two was better than Rocky and. I'm from Philadelphia, and I don't Hot care if you're. A, I don't care if you're a martial arts master. Goddamn it! <laughs> I'll go down swinging over that one. <laughs> that one's so depressing, though. <laughs> More of a Rocky Three guy, but. <laughs> Uh, and you can find us on social media on uh, Instagram, Best Movies Never Made, on Twitter at Never Made Film. If you like podcasts, check out uh, Josh's podcast. You can also check out our sister podcasts on the Electric Surge Network, like the 430 Movie, Glorious Trexperts, uh, the Star Wars podcast, The Rebel and the Rogue. Um, we also like to thank uh, Bill Ritter, our sound guy, and our producers, Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman. Uh, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying, until next time, we won't see you at the movies. This show was produced by Dean Devlin and Mark A. Altman and is an Electric Surge Network production.